0: Thank you for standing by and welcome to P&I's Full Year FY 2022 Financial Results Teleconference. All participants are in a listen-only mode. There will be a presentation followed by a question and answer session. If you wish to ask a question, you will need to press the star key, followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. I would now like to hand over to Managing Director, Mr Ian McCowan. Please go ahead.
1: Thanks, Ashley, and welcome to everyone who's joined us on the call this morning. Thank you for your time. Thanks for being with us. As you've heard, this call is to discuss our results for the 2022 financial year. We posted with the ASX last night our formal results announcement, our annual report, including the audited financial statements for the year. Our corporate governance statement, importantly our corporate sustainability report and also importantly our investor presentation. We'll be speaking to the presentation this morning or rather to some parts of it. The colleagues on the call with me are Alan Watson our chairman, Andrew Chambers Executive Director with particular responsibility for institutional and international distribution, Ramsen Jarju, who leads our retail distribution function, and Dan Longen, our CFO. I'll call out the main themes and highlights of our results and also briefly provide some further context and elaborate a few aspects that we feel are particularly important for analysts and shareholders to understand. We'll leave plenty of time for questions, which you're welcome to direct to any of the Pinnacle representatives on the call. As you can see on agenda slide three, there are sections where the relevant executive will be Andrew or Ramsen or Dan rather than me. Slide two is a disclaimer that is important and we would ask you to read this at your leisure. Slide three is an agenda. Slide five is a very simple summary of our themes for the 2022 financial year. We continued our record of increasing our profit each year, notwithstanding that our uh, financial year 2021 profit was double that of the previous year and that we had some Some annoying transitory factors lowering our profits this year. We benefited during financial year 22, and this will increasingly be the case going forward, from having further diversified our business, including increasing the proportion of funds not exposed to equity markets. And Pinnacle, as well as many of our affiliates undertook substantial further investment that will add to capacity and add to the growth in our funds under management and profits in future years. Slide six elaborates these themes. It starts off with the simple facts of the percentage increases during financial year 22 in net profit after tax, 14%, EPS 8% and dividends 22% over the record results that we achieved in the 2021 financial year. Now we're obviously disappointed with the results that we're reporting for this financial year just past, financial year 22. Our profits are only modestly ahead of the previous year and well below what we were all expecting at the start of the financial year and even late uh, in the first half, we were still anticipating strong results. We work hard to be a high growth company and we don't like delivering anything less than high growth. Clearly though, there is necessarily a degree of cyclicality to our earnings pattern and the trajectory will not be a smooth, Upward straight line. What we have managed to date is very high growth during favourable market conditions, then holding on to that success with modest growth during market downturns, resulting in nevertheless still high average growth rates. We have the very recent example of only single digit growth in financial year 20 the COVID disrupted year, followed by a doubling of profits in financial year 21. Still, the average rate of growth in EPS is 32% per annum over the last three years, even though this now includes two down periods in the space of just this three year period. There are also some factors which we believe are transitory or one-off in nature, including particularly losses, mostly unrealised losses, on seed sum, These total about $5.7 million for Pinnacle's share that I will elaborate shortly, which held our financial year 22 profits to lower levels than would otherwise have been the case. So to point two on this slide, our aggregate base fees have continued to increase, notwithstanding the lower headline net inflows for this year. This is because, and you'll hear more of this later, especially from Andrew Chambers, the net institutional flow numbers mask a picture of quite large outflows during the 22 financial year largely from old domestic institutional mandates, which are generally at modest fee rates and large inflows into higher fee asset classes and strategies from both local and international investors. The net effect of which has been to increase the aggregate base fees through the year. The large net inflows into retail in the first half also helped increase total revenue. The overall result is that the affiliate's run rate of aggregate revenues at 30th of June 22 was in the order of 20% higher than the aggregate rev- revenues through the 22 financial year. We note that industry-wide pressures have had an impact on net inflows. Again, more on this later from Andrew and Ramson. Retail inflows fell to very low levels in the second half of the year. $700 million net inflows compared with $2.9 billion in the first half. This was quite similar to what happened from March 2020. Equity markets dropped severely and aggregate industry flows dried up. This lasted several months during which time we recorded very low net inflows. but it was followed by us at pinnacle by record inflows in financial year 21 and the first half of financial year 22 as soon as market conditions improved again. We note also that the FUM with performance fee potential has continued to increase both in absolute dollars and as a percentage of the total FUM. In point three, we call out the fact that the diversity of our asset classes and markets have continued to increase with an increasing proportion of our FUM not being exposed to equity markets, and also that the breadth of our performance fee fund has further increased. We now have 22 strategies with the potential to deliver material performance fees, up from 18 a year earlier. And this year, it was helpful that 10 affiliates delivered performance fees. So we received material performance fees even though none of our large performance fee FUM strategies, except for Palisade as usual, fired this year, we look forward to those strategies firing in years ahead. In point four, we, em- we are emphasising how much Horizon 2 investment we have made throughout the group during the year. Noting that this very substantial investment, which has been made within most of the affiliates, as well as within Pinnacle itself, will drive growth over the medium term, but this investment has very significantly moderated our financial year 22 profits. For the first time, we've sought to quantify this impact, estimating that our total NPAT in financial year 22 was reduced by in the order of $12 million as a result of these investments. We note that these investments, though reducing current year's profits, tend to generate extremely large returns over the medium term. We can go into some detail on that in the one on one session we make the point in 5 that our balance sheet has been highly valuable we use it as an enabler of growth employing it as an accelerator for new affiliates and new strategies within existing affiliates we have given a lot uh, we've given a number of examples there i won't read them out access to capital also enables us to facilitate succession within affiliates, such as with the recycling of equities. We make the point that Pinnacle is the natural acquirer of additional equity of affiliates. As affiliates grow in value very substantially, long-serving affiliate executives can achieve some liquidity from their equity at the appropriate time and a lesser percentage equity is needed in order to achieve the same incentivisation impact as was achieved with larger percentages in earlier years. And we note that we have $120 million of dry powder available for the acquisition of equity in Horizon 3 initiatives, which could be strategically attractive and diversifying. We've borrowed $120 million for this purpose and meanwhile use it as an enabler of Horizon 2 initiatives. Turning to slide seven, the financial highlights, we've reported net profit after tax of $76.4 million for the year, up 14% on the record financial year 21 impact of $67 million. Our diluted EPS was $0.39.5 cents per share up 8% on the financial year 21 record. And we've declared a fully franked final dividend of 17.5 cents per share, the same as the interim dividend, taking total dividends for the year to 35 cents per share, up 22% on the financial year 21 total dividends. I mentioned earlier that one factor which impacted our NPAT this year quite significantly was unrealised losses on what we call principal investments on Seed Fund. Both Pinnacle and a number of our affiliates had investments in affiliate funds for the purpose of seeding new funds. Although Pinnacle has had its equities exposure partly hedged, some affiliates did not hedge that exposure. Also, over the months leading up to 30th of June, Hyperion experienced quite substantial short-term negative alpha. Hyperion had invested $15 million Australian dollars in its new US fund for US investors in December. And Pinnacle had invested $5 million Aussie dollars in the new Hyperion New Zealand Pi Fund in March. The net effect of all this during FY22 on Pinnacle's P&L was an NPAT reduction of about $5.7 million, not including the interest cost of $2.2 million on the borrowings. For people who wish to take the view that this was a transitory factor and likely to reverse at some point, you can make your adjustments using these numbers. The aggregate revenue of the affiliate at 100% was $505 million, up 22% on financial year 21. $448 million of this revenue was base fee uh, revenue, and that was up thirty-six percent on financial year twenty-one. Now just before we get into the FUM and fund flow numbers, I need to remind shareholders again of the distorting effect of a three point nine billion dollar very low fee inflow into Plato in April twenty twenty one and then coincidentally, an even lower C outflow of $3.9 billion from Omega in August 2021. These effectively offset each other, and we have urged shareholders to exclude them both when reviewing sum and flow numbers for FY21 and FY22. Hence, we said, please think of our total net inflows in FY21 as $12.8 billion, not the headline $16.7 billion. And for FY22, we think of our total net inflows as $4.5 billion, not the headline $0.6 billion. Happily, we won't have to bore our shareholders with this adjustment beyond FY22. So in terms of FUM, our aggregate affiliate FUM at the 30th of June 2022 was $83.7 billion. This was down $5.7 billion or 6.4% on $89.4 billion at 30th of June 2021 or down $1.8 billion or 2.1% adjusting for the PLATO omega distortion. Aguate retail fund was $21.1 billion at 30th of June 2022 up $800 million or 4% on a year earlier. The ASX 300 index was down 10.4% over the year, and the MSCI World Index down 17.1%. Total retail net inflows for the year were $3.6 billion in a tale of two very different halves, compared with $4.5 billion in FY21. Section 4 of the presentation provides a retail market update and Ransom will elaborate during questions and one on ones Total institutional net inflows, including international, were $0.9 billion, adjusting for the PLATO omega distortion, compared with $8.4 billion in FY21. Section 3 of the presentation provides an institutional and international market update And Andrew Chambers will explain the subtle factors at work in these markets during question time and in one-on-ones. It's important to note in summary that in contrast to the underwhelming headline flow and some change numbers, aggregate base fee revenue of the affiliates at 100% was up 36% in FY twenty two on FY twenty one and the run rate aggregate base fee revenue number at thirtieth of june twenty two was in the order of twenty percent higher than the aggregate revenue through the FY twenty two year. So we've entered the twenty three financial year in better shape than might be implied by the headline thirtieth of june twenty twenty two thumb number. Cash and principal investments total $177.2 million at 30th of June, and our debt facility is fully drawn at $120 million. It's also pleasing to note that 83% of affiliate strategies that have a track record of five years or more have outperformed their benchmarks over the classic five-year measurement timeframe. We've had what we know to be style related and cyclical or transitory short term underperformance in a couple of affiliates during the year, but the crucially important longer term records remain intact and strong. Slide eight shows the detail of the affiliate platform and highlights the twenty twenty two financial and highlights of the financial twenty two financial year. Slides nine and 10 show our record of earnings growth over the six years that that we have been listed pinnacle. Slide 11 provides the specifics of the five-year performance track records of the 26 affiliated funds or strategies. Slide 56 to 58 provide further performance detail. Slide 12 shows our 16-year FUM and net flow history. Slide 59 at the back shows FUM at 30th of June by affiliate. Uh, a lot of people like to look at that, together with the six monthly history back to 2020. Uh, sorry, 2011. Slide 13 shows some detail on our performance fee record and opportunity. As mentioned, we're growing the size and diversity of our performance fee potential and look forward to larger performance fee fund strategies delivering in future years. And again, slide 14 provides some detail on the increasing diversification of our business. Slide 15 updates on our more recent major industry awards. I'll skip over sections two, three and four leaving that detail to questions and one-on-ones. I think I've referred to the key points from those sections in any event. I move to section five, total growth agenda. That's slides 37 to 44. In slide 38, we remind shareholders that we think in terms of three horizons of growth. Horizon one is the main game. It is continuing to pursue net inflows into existing strategies of existing affiliates. We remain very confident of our ability to continue to do that and particularly to grow affiliate revenue. We conservatively estimate the capacity of the affiliates' existing strategies at $300 billion. So there is plenty of Horizon One runway left with the attendant strong gains in operating leverage that will be accompanied by such growth. Horizon 2 investments increase capacity over and above the existing $300 billion plus and remains the subject of an enormous amount of activity both within Pinnacle itself and within the affiliate. We've stated that we estimate this is costing the order of $12 million to Pinnacle's bottom line NPAT. This is a slow, patient process where we invest now for medium-term gain, but we've been doing this for a long time and have a very strong record of very high returns on our past Horizon 2 investments, not even including the unrealized capital gains on the value of these businesses and strategies that we have built. And we are confident this will continue to be the case in the future. We've mentioned specific Horizon 2 initiatives in slides 40, 41, and 42, and the overseas Horizon 2 initiatives in slide 43. In relation to Horizon 3, which of course is where we use capital to buy into existing businesses, We were pleased to have completed our acquisition of 25% of private equity and venture capital manager 5V during the year. In terms of potential further opportunities, slide 44 explains in summary that we've done a lot of work on a large range of opportunities, but in the final analysis, we haven't progressed so far with any. And we make no apologies for remaining disciplined and patient. I'm out of time, but I really want to mention section six, corporate responsibility. We're proud of the progress we've made on so many fronts, but I will leave it to shareholders to ask questions or read slides 46 to 50 of the presentation and the corporate sustainability report that we've lodged with the ASX last night. So in conclusion, I'd like to remind shareholders of the basis on which we remain so confident of our company's ability to continue to grow and prosper, which is all about our distinctive business model and the competitive advantages that brings to us. We should turn to questions now, please.
0: Thank you. If you wish to ask a question, please press star one on your telephone and wait for your name to be announced. If you wish to cancel your request, please press star 2. If you're on a speakerphone, please pick up the handset to ask your question. Your first question comes from Scott Murdoch with Morgans. Please go ahead.
2: Thank you. Morning Ian and team. Um, maybe just a couple. On the $12 million, um, investment that you called out there Ian, um, that's been incurred at the MPAT line, I'm just interested if you give us just a little bit of detail of um, where you, where that spend has been focused um, and just I guess the timing of some expected results um, from that investment within the affiliates.
1: Yeah, So I might ask Dan to help me um, with specifics on these numbers. I should mention Scott that you know, it was a little, with a little bit of trepidation that we start bringing forward more and more detail and estimates and so on. We do that, you know, in good faith in the interests of, um, bringing our shareholders along with the journey. But, um, you know, there's always, um, a degree of, we make these investments, we're very careful to do it in only very high quality people and so on. But then, well, we're never sure exactly how long it will take for the returns to come, but we do know that they're big when they do come. But Dan, would you like to take that? Sure. 12000 so,
3: Sure. So, on Scott, uh, Scott, on slide 41, we call out the major initiatives within affiliates. So there's eight affiliates listed there with multiple initiatives happening in most of them. Now, the aggregate spend at an affiliate level was in the order of sixteen million dollars. As sheriff that's about five. And then the balance of that was spent within Pinnacle itself, furthering international distribution and our international expansion.
2: Okay, thanks. Maybe um maybe following on from that, um, Ian, Dan and um, on that offshore expansion piece that was obviously um, had a, a fair bit of focus going back six months ago on sort of potential acquisition opportunities and you mentioned that in the call, Ian, but there was previously a funnel um, shown. So just interested in an update on, I guess, um, what that um, what that capability, distribution capability offshore uh, is now, the investment made and, and further investment expected.
1: So in terms of uh, distribution offshore, uh, offshore. We'll ask Andrew Chambers to speak to that. We've added people and we will sort of carefully add more people. But in terms of looking for Horizon 3 and some Horizon 2 offshore, yeah, we've um, we've done a huge amount of work. Um, we had a fellow um, who we paid for probably a year, an expensive, experienced fellow on the ground over there helping us. And... Um, yeah, we've had a team, and uh, all of us have spent some time on things. We um, we have become quite advanced with some of them. In the end, um, we we demurred on uh, some quality aspects. We have very high standards in terms of quality, and also um, so our preference was in private markets asset classes you know very diversifying asset classes if we could and in the end we found that valuations have remained very high overseas in private markets and um, you know we didn't want to overpay so that's it in terms of you know horizons two and three but in terms of offshore distribution Andrew do do you want to just take that
4: Yes, so over the last 12 months, we've added um, two senior people on the ground, one in the Americas, one in the uh, EMEA region, based out of London. In addition to that, we've added people in operational roles, both in London as well as on the ground in Canada, in particular where we're building out a hub as well. And we're also looking at distribution opportunities there. So it comes in the form of not just distribution and sales executives and incrementally added to the team, but also in terms of operational, people to support, fund infrastructure and uh, compliance and risk, as well.
2: Okay, thank you. Um, maybe while I've got Andrew there, just one last one from me. Just um, maybe a little bit of colour on the institutional pipeline. Um, I think it's called out there to be um, pretty confident in in the demand. Just interested where you're seeing the strongest demand in terms of. Uh, affiliate and channel and also if you could just touch on um, maybe outflow exposure and changes and risks associated with um, MySuper?
4: Sure. Happy to take those questions. So in terms of um, the strongest demand, notwithstanding the fact we've got a really significant bear market and poor um, confidence in global emerging markets right now, there's an amazing opportunity, we think, to take market share in that space amongst managers with AQ You would have noted that more than doubled the AUM and here over the last 12 months in that business. So within so, two and a half years, we've gone to AKEA to run rate break even through our institutional international distribution team. they um, There's one of the very few Article 9 uh, compliance global emerging market managers under the Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation. So plenty of very strong demand out of places like Europe for managers like that. Um, very strong consultant ratings across the board and fund infrastructure in place, both UCITs as well as CITs on the ground in the United States. So we think there's a great opportunity in global emerging markets and seeing a lot of great inbound inquiries from consultants and asset owners as well there. know, In, in Antipodes partners, um, we, think, we think there's a, lo- a lot of demand in that global value category. In the last 10 years, as value has underperformed, obviously a recent rebound in the last six or so months, um, within a real thinning of the herd of high-quality global value managers. And so your capacity to contest mandates there is, is really enhanced. That was underwritten by the more than $1 billion of sales we made for the financial year. In Antipodes, we think there'll be more to come, not just here in Australia, where we've seen good demand, but also internationally as well, particularly out of the Americas, both Canada and the United States. Um, Metrics credit partners, private credit continues to have incredibly strong demand both domestically and internationally it seems to provide enormous amount of ballast in portfolios when duration-based fixed income portfolios had their biggest drawdowns well certainly in about 30 odd years um, they've shown themselves be incredibly stable asset classes and, ye- and strongly yielding asset classes so we've delivered a record um, net inflows for metrics in any year, one year surpassing last year's record number uh, that's across the institutional and the international. So we think there will continue to be strong demand there. Um, and also in areas like um, real assets in particular. Most of the major asset songs we're talking to locally and globally have a strong favorable um, uh, strongly favorable to new allocations to both real asset infrastructure and real estate in particular, giving them there's been very good inflation hedges and offering still very good upside. Um, so, that's probably one of the other areas we can see on, seeing ongoing demand across both Palisade as well as Resolution Capital. In terms of um, greater headwinds, um, so that's somewhat linked to Your Future Your Super. Um, and you will seen I've called out in the themes this issue around portfolio de risking that's happened in response to Your Future Your Super. I think trustees as well as fund executives are more mindful of benchmarks than they've ever been as a result of this legislation. And it's also encouraging a lot of these underperforming funds, which are being called out by APRA in the press, um, to accelerate fund consolidation and merge with other funds. That, that creates both opportunity and risk. Um, you know, It's interesting, we're seeing both in-sourcing opportunities as well as outsourcing. So where superannuation funds, those very large funds have been historically managing certain asset classes in-house, we're actually getting opportunities to take those, those, those mandates externally in areas like private and public credit from those internal teams. So it's not just one-way traffic in terms of internalisation there, but it does impact some of the large you know, equities actor classes, particularly Australian equities. Um, so you would have seen some outflows in Solaris during the course of the year and also Plato as well. Um, one of those was owing to internalisation, the others was owing to de-rifting of portfolios and moving more into indexation style portfolios. That's always been with us. Nothing new about that. Um, But obviously your future super heightens people's sensitivity to basis risk they're willing to take relative to to market benchmarks. Is that a helpful summary?
2: Yep, that's great detail. Thanks, Andrew. Um, Thanks, Ian. I'll pass it on.
0: Your next question comes from Tim Lawson with Macquarie. Please go ahead.
5: Uh, Hi, gentlemen. Thanks for taking my questions. Uh, Just two quick ones in terms of the uh, 12 million uh, tax you've called out in terms of the Horizon 2 investment. How does that amount compare to history? Is there any particular reason why you're calling it out now?
1: Um, it is... Yeah,
5: we haven't um, sort of
1: disclosed those numbers previously. It It is larger. Um, Dan, I'd say it's larger than any year so far. It's certainly... I know it's larger than last year. If you'd like to give a little bit of... Flavour on that, Dan. We we did sort of put the foot down on all of this, um, recognizing that we were going into this year with um, things looking very good, you know. Um, so, Dan, do you want to uh, do you want to mention the number
3: from last year, roughly? Yeah, so it's in the order of 50% higher than it was last year, Tim. And you'll note again from that slide 41 the number of initiatives that are happening now and a number of those were either started or substantially accelerated during the past 12 months. So as Ian said, it has been a step change in terms of that investment this year on last.
1: Yeah, I had 7 or $8 million in mind
5: for last year. Do you anticipate that there's sort of a new run rate? Is that... Do you think you keep disclosing it or do you think you're just trying to point out that there's been a step up and you don't keep showing it?
1: Well, we're certainly learning that the way disclosure works, once you disclose something, um, people look for you to continue to do that. So um, I think we're probably likely to. Um, I don't say that it's a step change that will be sort of, let's say, permanent. Um, The way we think of it, I mean, we love Horizon 2. We've done it for a long time. I think we've done it very well and we've had tremendous gains from it. So we don't say, oh, well, you know, this is the amount we're going to spend on it. We're looking continually at what the opportunities are and we resource up. You know, it has to be somewhat ahead of revenue. We don't like to overdo it. So uh, I won't sort of make a prediction there, Tim. Um, What you can be assured of is that everything we spend on Horizon 2 is on good quality stuff that we have high confidence in. We don't just sort of, you know, blithely go on spending money on these things. We're continually asking ourselves, are they good, what we're doing? But, um, yep, we've always done Horizon 2. People have always underestimated our profitability and overestimated our PE as a result. Um, I'm sure we'll keep doing Horizon 2, but I'm not going to say it'll be $12 million a year. This this yeah. was a sort of a higher level than in the past. We called it out because people are sort of asking us.
5: Yeah, and then just a, a thank you for that, but just a second question. In terms of the 5.7 um, impact from uh, seed commitments. You've you noted know they're mostly unrealised. Um, would, would you comment on how much of that is now hedged, um, what the market mark, market might be, um, also just how that's different to what you normally do, um, and, and do you normally try and hedge these sort of exposures?
1: Yeah, so um, we sort of have in the past partially hedged them. Um, we can't he- hedge. Alpha, obviously, it's just the market movement and we've done that. I don't know what we'll do in the future, Tim. We'll, we'll take our views on it as we go, but we have in the past sort of substantially hedged the pinnacle. Our affiliates make their own decisions um, and there's been quite a lot of extra seed sum. Really, as our affiliates have progressively built their own capital by paying out not quite 100%, um So that number invested by affiliates in Seed has gone up quite a lot. Um, I think that will be ongoing. And I think, I mean, some hedge, I think fire trail hedge, uh, but many of them don't. And that'll be their decision. But I would assume they will continue to leave it unhedged. I mean, over time, it ought to be positive. It just adds to volatility in the short term. But
5: I think
1: think, think the amounts exposed will remain sort of at these
5: levels, more or less. Thank you. That's all for me.
0: Your next question comes from Nick McGarrigal with Baron Joey. Please go ahead.
6: Good evening. Thanks for taking questions. Um, I might just ask one around it looks like, based on my numbers, that uh, both Hyperion and Antipodes had reasonable flows in the fourth quarter. Can you, I mean, Putting in context what Andrew was talking about in terms of institutional allocations to and tracking errors and things, can you talk through just the decisioning on those clients and if that's um, if those were long waited mandates getting getting fulfilled? Um, just a bit of context around those two particularly. But Andrew,
1: yeah, very happy to take
6: that question
4: and thanks for that. Um, I actually neglected to mention Hyperion, which I should have um, when I was responding to Scott's question. Um, so a high on the institutional side experienced $1.2 billion of inflows for the financial year of 22. Um, so very strong ongoing demand. Um, we've been selectively opening up capacity to particular institutional investors, particularly those which we see strategically as being survivors in the consolidation race. Um, these investors typically barbell their portfolios. So they typically like to have a, a lower tracking error core, potentially internalized or using quantum alike. And then they typically appoint higher tracking error managers for which they're prepared to pay more premium style fees for high active risk. So we brought on board a number of clients in that space during the course of the year. And we also have rebalancing top-ups in response to the alpha under performance by a number of long-standing investors, which recognize this is exactly the right time. You want to put more money to work with Hyperion so the demand for Hyperion remains exceptionally strong amongst institutional asset owners I was just on a call with a major Australian consultant yesterday who was pushing us hard about getting access to more capacity um, so you tend to find they're very counter cyclical if we went back to FY21 with Hyperion we had 1.5 billion dollars of outflows in response to the strength of their outperformance so really important you know demonstration and i think just to position to think about fy 22 versus 21 and the performance profile of the manager and, and the ongoing demand so hopefully that helps sort of explain hyperion um on on the side of antibodies um these are mandates which have been working on for longer longer periods of times which are now crystallized um that happened both in australia and also out of the us uh bringing on shore a U.S. Uh, West Coast insurance client, uh, major superannuation fund client in Australia. Again, someone who's going to be a survivor in the consolidation race amongst superannuation. We're strategically driving much harder at those bigger funds, the larger end of town, which we can grow with them over time. Um, those smaller mid-sized funds will simply be rolled up into larger funds over the next few years. Um, Antipodes maintains a very strong pipeline here, here locally in Australia with consultant range across the board very supportive putting them forward for new business and also internationally for a lot of offshore and international consultants based in the US and also in Europe. Um, so, um, so the picture is, uh, is pretty good for both of those uh, managers in their respective
1: spaces. So, so Nick, I, I would just sort of make the point that um, there's quite a big difference between the retail market and the institutional market. In terms of reaction to recent performance numbers. Um, As Andrew said, uh, institutions are far more professional and rational and they will often uh, deallocate after good performance and increase allocations when something's been out of favour. So an institution including overseas will say okay we need some value-style global equities in our portfolio. Who's the best um, value-style global equities manager? And you'll get appointed. It doesn't matter what recent performance has been. Similarly, if they want a um, a growth-style global equities manager or an EM manager or whatever. Unfortunately, in the retail market, what we've seen is that when markets go down, um, investors stop inflows. and. You know, it's a great tragedy that that happens and money sort of pours in after markets have gone up. So there's a lot more performance following in the retail market.
6: Maybe that's a good segue into the retail um, side of the business then. The first half was about $500 million a month. The second half uh, was sort of 120 a month. Can you give us a sense on the momentum and the and the
1: sort of seven flow over the six months to June, and and what the momentum was like sort of towards the end of the period. We'll ask Ramsden to answer that. It'd be helpful, Tim, if you can give us a forecast of what markets are going to do. That would be helpful uh, for retail forecasting retail momentum. But um, Ramsden, thanks for the question. Um, look, first half of the year, the
7: market was doing very well in terms of record flows in the market itself. Um. I included a slide um, in the pack slide 32 that shows basically Q4 last year. There was record influx of about $70 billion for um, the year, but about $60 billion of that was in Q4 last year. So the market was doing so well. And then January hit and things slowed down. February, things continued to be slow. Uh, part of that, we thought, was because people took extended leave over the summer break for the first time in two years. But then March, April, all the way through to June, the market has been very soft. In fact, there's only been $200 million in net new business across the whole retail funds management industry in the first half of this year, calendar year. So the market has slowed markedly in the last six months and yes, our run rate has dropped uh, to a lower rate. As Ian said, we do believe the market pauses when there's dislocations, a lot of investment committees are trying to figure out um, value versus growth um, how do they change their around uh, duration exposure versus credit private debt and so forth but our experience is that when the market starts looking to invest the quality of our managers and the distribution thing that we have we believe part of that conversation and we see pick up very quickly with strong quotes in terms of your specific questions on hyper answer. um Hyperion was the, um, the largest contributor to net retail flows for the financial year, but as Ian mentioned earlier, it was the case of two halves. Hyperion um, did excellent in the first half of the year. Second half, they finished positive, but um, we're only seeing the last matter of weeks people starting to allocate back to growth as, the, as they see it as an opportunity to reallocate towards Hyperion, but they have slowed down markedly. Antipodes on the flip side was in outflows, and in the first half, um, they had a much larger outflow. In the second half, on a month-to-month basis, it's getting very close to be turning the corner and becoming positive in retail. Now, when managers review the portfolio, when the markets are down, they don't necessarily look for the best value manager. In retail, because of indexing, because of ETFs, they look for low cost, low fee, And at times, they'll give up on a style and simply move into more passive. So that's a conversation that we need to continue to educate to show why value plays a role, especially obviously in the last six months.
6: That's great. I might just ask one more and then um, I'll let someone else have a crack. Um, In terms of Coolabar, it looks like they had a fairly significant outflow in, it looks like the second half, but more weighted to the fourth quarter. Can you just give us a bit of
1: context around those movements? Yeah, so um, Andrew might take this. I'll, I'll just um, say they did have um, one client that was involved in a merger, where um, there was an immediate sort of closing down of all the the smaller merging funds um, investments, and that they were a significant investor in Coolabar. I think the the new senior partner. Also invest with Cooler Bar, but in a different strategy, and I haven't done anything about that yet. So, yeah, Cooler Bar had some outflows towards the end there. Andrew? I'll just maybe add to that.
4: So, the Cooler um, Bar managed mandate for both larger funds with over a hundred billion dollars of FUM, mm-hmm. um, as well as the smaller merger partner. They run very different strategies uh, for the larger funds um Coolabar runs effectively a portfolio of um of local local issuers who trade in foreign currency or rather issue into foreign foreign markets and foreign currencies as Australian issuers and also foreign issuers that issue into the Australian market. They've doubled that mandate in the last uh, month or so um with Koulibar. Uh but obviously the other mandates they had with the smaller fund were of less of a fit for their portfolio. So there's they're effectively um uh, reducing those or terminating those particular mandates but the intention is to scale up the existing mandate which was historically managed in-house by this fund and with externalized to coolabar to manage on their behalf so that's continuing to increase in size and should grow as that fund continues to grow itself
6: okay great i lied i'm going to ask one more question um metrics Looks like it had about three billion dollars of net inflows, um, and obviously some fairly significant origination fees. Um, I think their historic issue has been capital, as opposed to the investments. Um, can you just give us an update on you know, how we should think about their longer longer term capacity and their ability to originate loans you know, in
1: any given financial year? So, um, in terms of fees and so on, we might ask Dan to speak to that, but. It,
6: uh, at,
1: but but in terms of ongoing flows and capacity, uh, maybe Andrew, but I would make the point that they have, you know, huge capacity and um, they've added a lot of people. They've added extra strategies. Uh, there's a very big runway ahead. So um, they're going very well, but there's a long way still to go. Would you agree with that, Andrew? Without a doubt, there there aren't the
4: capacity constraints in private credit that there are in, say, public equities, um, because the sheer size of the market. And in fact, you get economies of scale as you get bigger, rather than diseconomies um, in the area of direct lending, because you can speak for more capital up front at the point of origination. You get better economics, and so they get enhanced returns as they get larger. And if you look at um, comps globally, whether it's an oak tree. Whether it's Blackstone uh, or others run private credit portfolios of several hundred billion of dollars, and you think about the major banks in the and how much they lend in terms, of their, in terms of their corporate books, there's an enormous amount of runway to go in that business. They're obviously expanding into new verticals as well, um, you know, alongside into real estate equity and holding equity um, warrants and options in private companies that they lend to as well. So. new adjacent um, areas they're moving into including also SME lending strategies as well for more small ticket loans um, in addition to that as well Um, in terms of the the fee origination um, for for the upfront they're doing more and more business in their high-yielding strategies in which they participate 50-50 in the upfront fees with investors and obviously the churn of that book is um, quite frequent so on their real estate debt funds for example the tenor of those ones t- typically is less than 12 months. So you're, you're generating upfront seeds every 12 months as that same magnitude, to, to give you an example.
3: Thanks again.
0: Once again, if you wish to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone and wait for your name to be announced. Your next question comes from John Hind with Wilsons. Please go ahead.
8: Oh, good morning, uh, and thanks for taking my questions, uh, gentlemen. Um, On the business, on the underlying business, um, if we can start with affiliate margins, there's a little bit more to unpack this year with performance, the the affiliates' investments for growth, and then the new affiliates added. Uh, Can you perhaps let us know, what are the key drivers of the 38% um, for this year? And could the recent recovery in markets and IECA reaching breakeven, can that upset some of the costs that are being laid on and get it closer to a 40% again um, in the near term? But I might ask Dan
1: to address that, but as a general statement, um, so yes, Aikia, uh cost us money last year, but is now through breakeven. So that'll be a positive for next year. Um, Having said that, we've got other new affiliates such as Langdon. We'll still be costing money. And who knows whether we might add some more. Uh, But we do have that continuing process that, you know, older Horizon 2 investments are no longer a drag, but we've got new ones. Um, As we said, the $12 million number for this year is larger than in the past. That's partly not just new affiliates, but extra distribution and new strategies that we have to distribute. Um, But Dan, would you like to um, talk about the margin? So um, we don't sort of target a margin. We, We seek to get the best fees we can. Uh, on our flows, and that is a positive for our margin, is that our outflows tend to be at lower fees than inflows. That's a very significant factor. But the Horizon 2 uh, cost in affiliates, which is large in affiliates, um, I think it, they've spent, you know, it was totaled, it was about $20 million. So our share, $12 million. Um, you know we'll see what that is. Um, it's at a fairly high level in, in um in the year just past. I don't know about future years except to say that we do like horizon two dan do you do you have any better enlightenment on that on the sort of revenue to expense ratios?
3: The, the only two things I'd add briefly, John, are that we do expect those horizon two PL investments if you like to drive high margins in future years how long that's going to take we don't know and then the other thing is the seeding losses so they sit in that expense line within the affiliates and if you take the view that they are transitory and at some point will unwind then of course that would be additive to that bottom line margin but again we don't know when or if that's going to happen
1: yeah so our affiliates as well as we have to uh, expense through the PNL unrealized losses. Mark to market.
8: Yeah. 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 Now that's that's in line with how I was thinking about it. I'm um, sure, so I mean, I guess you are, as markets recover, you will see that line improve. Um, just moving on. So, with a strong contribution from the core revenue. Um, you mentioned in the pack that the second half uh, was impacted by some or didn't quite meet internal expectations. Um, it still was quite a good result, I guess, versus our numbers. Has, has the strategy changed there um, for fees from affiliates as their, um, I guess, as their margins get higher? Are you now, can we now think about the underlying you know, pinnacle uh, administration business um, can that be sustainably profitable going forward? Should we should we think about that that differently now?
1: Yeah, so, so I would say there's no change to strategy broadly. Um, the higher margins are a result of different um, strategies being in inflow than those that are in outflow. Um, but we're always going to get the best fees we can. Um, So that's been a deliberate strategy of diversifying into, you know, higher fee um, affiliates or asset classes. Um, In terms of Pinnacle Parent, um, we don't target a particular outcome. There's no doubt that our revenues have grown as our farm, especially retail farm grows. So that's a good thing. Um, You know, we've added people um, ahead of further growth. As uh, existing affiliates adding strategies, we have to distribute them as well, especially in retail. So we've added some costs. But um, the pinnacle parent outcome will be whatever it is. It would have been, as we said, better if we hadn't had those unrealized losses. So, um, yep, we can be in profit, but we're not targeting. You know, we're not targeting greater profitability
8: in, in the parent as such.
6: Okay, great. Right.
8: Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks very much, Jane. Um, I'll um, leave it to the next yeah. panellist.
0: There are no further questions at this time and that does conclude our teleconference today. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.